You ready? Okay, so um, we're going to talk a bit more about some other current trends and uh, some more news coming out of the financial sector with you today. Um, but first, I wanted to talk about with you like the reason we wanted to do this. Um, the re- like I think it's important that younger people start learning a little bit more about financial things. Um, I think getting into the housing market, whether it's to rent something to make money off of as an investment or just to have a house for yourself rather than renting, like to help pay off somebody else's mortgage is pretty important. Um, Something like I was talking to a guy from uh, the business breakfast you run. He was talking about wealth creation and getting ahead of things like this. So if another crisis like this happens again, I, I can imagine a lot of young people not wanting to have to... Uh, resort to leaving where they live because they lost their job to have to move back in with their family because yeah. I think a lot of people are going to end up being like that um, I think a lot of people are going to resort to living with their mum and dad or living with their mum and dad and their kids or whatever um, moving forward purely because possibly financially they weren't ready to handle something like this yeah. and obviously you can't really uh, plan for things like this to happen like I don't think COVID was something anybody really apart from some a few small people uh, sort of a small few people sort of maybe thought this could happen but most people didn't expect anything like this mm. to ever happen in the world so yeah um, I think I think the yeah. key thing the key takeaway is about having financial buffers yeah so if you're living yeah, a lot of people who've paid a pay week mm. to week and that sort of thing, you know, they get their pay and they spend it and then they're, you know, struggling till the next pay. Um, there was a stat that came out which we're going to talk about in the uh, ING report about um, one of the things with COVID, 69% of people are taking more control of their finances mm. and I think that could be a good thing coming out of this. Yeah. I think if you look for what are the good things, what are the good things, there's plenty of bad things, but what are some of the good things? Yeah. And it's about... Yeah, being taking responsibility for where you spend your money and maybe putting money away before you spend. Because yeah. a lot of people spend and then go, Oh, I've only got fifty dollars left to save. It's about that was something flipping about flipping it. I think it was something you mentioned in the first podcast we ever did <clears throat> that I need you to repeat because I've forgotten it, but I also think it might be something that's a good takeaway. You talked about when you were a kid, your family, the way the way parents um, handled their money back in the day was you sort of you got your paycheck you saved and whatever was left over was what you used to get by mm-hmm. rather than worried about getting by and saving the last bit can you yeah, expand yeah. on that a yeah. little bit so it was around the day when you used to get paid in cash so you'd turn up every fortnight or week or month or whatever and you'd actually get an envelope with cash. This is like the 60s or something. Yeah, 70s, 80s, right. that sort of thing. A lot of people's parents will remember it. Um, some people still get paid in cash. But you've got an envelope with your cash in it and you actually have to physically go to the bank to put in the bank. Now, now when you get paid, it's usually straight into your bank account, which is you know, a lot more convenient. But you got your, your cash and you went and put it in. You worked out, okay, I need to pay rent. I need to get some groceries. Yeah, I'm going to see, going to a concert, or I'm going to movies, or whatever. I need X for that, and the rest you put in the bank. So it was, a, it was an actual uh, rational choice. Mm. You know, you might have got five hundred bucks, and you thought, okay, I need one hundred and fifty to live on. 
and the other 350 went in the bank. And because it was, it was harder to get at, you saved more money. Like now, um, we can go up and get a coffee and just tap. Mm. It comes out of your bank account. You yeah. can go to the go to shop and you'll see, you know, a bargain to put on the Caldascab Facebook page. Right. And you go tap and you yeah. get it. So it's just a lot easier now to spend. Okay. But what you've got to do, you've got to be disciplined and mm. you've got to work out what your objective is. And if your objective is to say, okay, we want to save a deposit um, or just get a buffer over the next six months. Yeah. If we need our buffer to be six grand, we need to save hundred bucks a week. Sorry, sorry, we need to save thousand dollars a month. Sorry, yeah, yeah. which means we've got to save two hundred fifty dollars a week. So you break it down. It's like exercise. Yeah, you got to break it down into small steps to achieve yeah, big yeah. goals. So that yeah. was something like when I was living in Melbourne to save some money. What I noticed worked well for me because I think it works for me to have a physical amount to look at. <clears throat> was I would get paid. And then I would take out all of the money I needed for like groceries, um, groceries and like maybe I had a hundred or so dollars a fortnight to spend on coffees or go to the shops to buy stuff like eating out or takeaway or whatever. And that was a physical amount that I had to keep track of instead of resorting to just tapping and going mm-hmm. and not really registering what how much extra stuff I was paying for because yeah. then you sort of are more mindful of the things you pay for because it's a physical amount you can see yeah. Yeah. which I think is uh, yeah and that's the yeah. thing like you read say the barefoot investor has people having different accounts so you have like your emergency account firefighting account splurge account those sorts of things so you might have your savings account and your bills account and your spend account mm-hmm. and it's about having different buckets that you take money out of and trying to stick to that. But um, I think, yeah, if coming out of COVID, one thing is that people are more thoughtful about their spending and their finances, which the report suggests that's a great thing. Yeah. But it's about, um, yeah, working out what your objective is. It's, you know, if, if you want to run a marathon in three months, you don't go out today and run 42 Ks. You know, you might run six Ks and then next week you're running 8Ks and then 10Ks and then eventually yeah. you'll work your way up to it. It's, it's no different. Yeah. You know, if you want to bench press 100 kilos, you don't go in and bench press 100 kilos. Yeah. You might start at 40 and then go to 42. Every now and then you have a lapse. You, know, you might get 50 and go back to 48 one week. But yeah, as yeah. long as you're progressing forward. Right. Um, yeah. So I think the other thing we talked about is the, the analogy of do you um, play now and pay later? Or do you pay now and play later? And I think a lot of people might work out a bit too late in the piece when they go, gee, I want to buy a house, that they've played a bit too much and they don't have money yeah. to, to move forward. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so we'll start with the, the home ownership report. You brought that up earlier. So uh, an ING home ownership report came out uh, sometime during the last week or so. Um, which came out with a couple of different statistics about where Australians are, I guess, where their mind's at going into the rest of the year with COVID happening, um, revolving around home ownership, whether they think they can invest now or whether they think they can get into a home loan soon. So a third of millennials that uh, were surveyed, as well as a quarter of the Aussies surveyed in total, expect to buy a property in the next two years. Um I guess that seems like 
a lot of people <clears throat> are probably thinking a little more about home ownership. And I don't know what the stats might have been earlier with the third of millennials thinking about it. Um, but it's cool to know that more people around my age category are looking at that now. Um, yeah, I think there's a couple of things there. You know, there's probably a lot of people who were thinking, you know, people in their 20s, early 30s, thinking, say, in January, February, they were planning where their next overseas trip was going to be. Yeah. So, you know, they might have been doing the Europe thing or might have been going to America or just, you know, for a year going travelling. Um, and that's now sort of on the back burner. Mm-hmm. You know, there's probably going to be not much overseas travel in the next year, maybe two years. Yeah. Um, so people... Um, you know, they might have lost their job, they might be on JobKeeper or JobSeeker, they might have reduced hours, they may not be impacted. There are some um, people who are, who are benefiting from COVID because the industry they're in has actually been booming. Right. Um, but I think people are now thinking, okay, well, what's the next three to five years of my life going to look like? You know, they might, they may not be able to afford the rental had to move back home. Gee, I don't particularly like that because you know, there's a lot of stress on everybody. Um, so this sort of thing can... So home ownership becomes a bit more of a thing, mm. a bit more of a tangible thing, which might have been something which was five or ten years down the track. So yeah. there's a lot more people thinking about it. The gen, A lot of reports are suggesting that people coming out of COVID will want... may not want to live in cities. Um, they're worried about... Um, spread of, of um, COVID, they're worried about you know, public transport, being in crowded places and all that sort of stuff and one of the things that's been thrown up is that a lot of people can work from home yeah. effectively without all having to be in the office and talking to some of the people that I deal with in, in banks and all that sort of stuff um, how they're looking to manage the return to work is that they might just have a third of the staff in the office at any one time the other two thirds of the staff be working from home, yeah. so that then reflects in commercial property because there'll be less demand for property. You'll need there'll be less property needed to house office workers because there'll be less of them in the office right. and more working from home. So then you go, okay, well, where does that sort of lead to? Well, if people can work from home, do they want to do they want to be in Strathfield in Sydney or? Um, you know, Turak in Melbourne or Milton in Brisbane yeah. or Merriweather in Newcastle or, you know, Battery Point in Hobart, do they need a, an expensive place there that's tying up a lot of their money or can they move to a hub within, say, two hours where they can work from home but still commute one day a week or so if okay. need be? So, you know, you could effectively, you could live in Ballarat. You could, you could, you could sell your place to Turak move to Ballarat, free up a lot of your cash. You know, you might sell your place in Turak for a million bucks, buy in Ballarat for four fifty or five hundred. You've got an extra five hundred grand that you can put in your super that's taken a bath yeah. because of COVID. And you can telework from home. Um, you know, you can take there's there's call center call centers that operate with people who um, sit in their house because that's the way um, the they've been set up. I remember yeah. talking to one of the ladies from um, I think it was Virgin Money. Um, she sat, their head office I think was in Brisbane and she worked out of Gold Coast. So she just worked from home yeah. and she could do all the calls from home and everything from home. So the sort of feeling is that more people will move out of the cities. Uh, one, to downsize, to free up cash, that they can work from home, they can get a 
a bigger place. Mm. Um, people starting to think, do I want to live in an apartment tower? You've only got to look at what's happening now in Melbourne with the lockdowns of the, in the apartment towers. Now, do you want to be in a 10-storey apartment or you know, 30-storey apartment tower in the centre of Brisbane and then hear that five people in your building have got COVID and, and then you're locked down. in there. Yeah, yeah. You're locked in there. You can't get out for two weeks. Um, people are starting to think about that stuff and go... And I think people are starting to think a bit more about their future. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, think they're bulletproof. And I think now people are, you know, hearing these enormous death tolls overseas, which luckily haven't come here. Um, I think people are more thinking about, well, what does that mean for me in the future and the kids and that sort of thing. So I think a lot of people are putting it off to, like a few of my friends in Vancouver are similar, where they're living in apartment towers, but they're not. All of a sudden, they like they they live they're working good white collar jobs, well paid, living in a nice apartment complex in the city, and five years later they're still there, still renting, and so much of that money could have been put into a mortgage. Yeah, but it's just what's the saying? It's like rent money is dead money. Yeah, like well, to to an extent, and we've talked about this because you know there's a couple of options. You can get out of renting and buy a place, mm. but you can also um, rent where you want to live and buy where is a good investment. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think there'll be more people who live in, um, say they might live within half an hour of a city because it suits their lifestyle and work and commuting and they're in a good school zone and that for their kids, but they might choose to buy in a location out of the city, which is not about investment long term. Um, so, yeah, yeah, renting suits some people, but long term... That may not be the best option. But just a couple of other things on that report, which were really good, is people saying they're saving, 42% were saying they were saving more money because they're spending less money on commuting, eating out, childcare, yeah. those sorts of things. I think the, the childcare change is a step backwards. I think um, there's plenty of productivity commission reports saying that if you want to increase um, female engagement and access to work, Childcare should be free, and I think that's one of the things that would have been good to see continue. Mm. Make childcare free. Yeah, you can then free up a lot of people's cash. It's a good investment. It creates employment in childcare, and I think it just helps a lot of females get access to work, um, which is yeah. which is a big issue. More commonly, stay at home mums than stay at home dads. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but. The sort of thing around, you know, the issues around, we mentioned, you know, 69% saying they're more in control of their finance. Um, the main issue with getting into a property is always deposit. Mm. Um, most people have the borrowing capacity to borrow money. Right. That's the, the deposit. Um, and maybe one other time we can talk a bit more about what people can do around getting deposits quicker and yeah. other options. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, something else we wanted to cover was uh, a few articles touched on this, which was sort of the trends that they're expecting to come out of COVID, especially leading into 2021. Um, and we've sort of touched on it already, but um, three, the two or three main ones were multi-generational households. So um, I, I'm imagining what they mean by that is, like I said earlier, if, you, if you're a young person who might have been working in hospitality in Sydney, um, or the example I'll use is a friend of mine who was living in Sydney whose roommates can work from home but live in another city. They're from Canberra or they're from uh, Wollongong. It's easier for them to live at home 
and work from their fam their parents' house uh, to be closer to family than renting the apartment out. So they've left and they're downsizing back to cut costs. Yeah. So I think a lot of younger people, if they have either lost their job so they're out of work, they need to move home um, where there's a bit more of a financial safety net uh, or they don't lose their job but it's easier to downsize to save money anyway and work from home at their family's house either way. Yeah. Um, I, so I'm... I'm, I'm I'm interested to see how that changes and evolves, whether more people end up living with their mum and dad and maybe their grandparent or they've got kids of their own and they move in or their grandparents move in with them and yeah. sort of, it becomes more of a yeah. that sort of it setup. It sort of has happened in the past a bit, especially when people want to save for a deposit that they mm. might stay at home longer or move. They might have rented, they moved back into the family home to save money. Right. Um, there's one of the stats I saw during the week. They in, they talk to investors because you've got quite a few investors who've got multiple properties and they're thinking, okay, when the, you know, currently quite a few loans are in a holding pattern, which, you know, it's a good thing to just give people a bit of breathing space while they, while they sort themselves out. Um, and there was a thought that, you know, people with a few investment properties would maybe sell one um, because they couldn't afford it. But a few of the investors are saying they'll try and cut back elsewhere because that's their future mm. um, you know, plan to be able to have a couple of nearly unencumbered properties that give them an income yeah. to top up their super and that yeah. sort of thing. But you know, I think with um, yeah, there's a lot of people who have moved home. There's probably um, all ages of kids who've moved back in with their parents. So you know, that has its uh, challenges. Yeah. But I think um, yeah, people are more thinking... And when you look at, say, commercial, and I think this lost a bit, is you had companies that would have big offices because it was a status thing. You know, they had a view of the harbour and all that sort of yeah. stuff. Or, you know, it was, was um, you know, in Collins Street in Melbourne where everyone wanted to be and that sort of thing. Or, you know, view of the Brisbane River or wherever it was. But I think companies are now starting to realise that um, much like renting, a property is can be dead money that having lots of your um, profit sorry lots of your business costs attached to renting offices that you probably really don't need I think there's going to be quite a big impact on commercial property too yeah. moving forward but um, yeah so some, some interesting some interesting stats coming out yeah. that one around the um, the demographics and yeah you know, how, how households will form in the future it's going um, to be interesting going to be interesting because a lot of the time Everyone focuses on population growth. They say, you know, where the population's growing, that's where you invest. It's true in a sense, but it's also about the number of houses you need. So if if you have 100,000 people moving to an area over a 10-year period and they're all single, well, that's 100,000 dwellings. But if you have 100,000 people moving and they're all a um, couple with two kids... Well, it's only 25,000. Yeah. So it's not just about the population numbers. It's about, uh, they talk about... Um, the living situation. The of living situation. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things around that, say, Sydney and Melbourne especially, yeah. get most of the overseas arrivals for people who immigrate, Brisbane to a lesser extent. Um, you know, we used to get a couple of hundred thousand people arrive every year. At the moment, we're getting none. Yeah. So that's gonna there's that means there's less renters. When there's less renters, 
there and there's the, the same stock of um, investment properties um, vacancy rates go up when vacancy rates go up rents normally go down because renters have choice yeah rather than turning up to a rental where there's 20 other people that want it right they might turn up to one where they're the only one that wants it so they've in, in more bargain yeah. in a sort of greater bargaining power so i think um yeah it's, it's going to be quite an interesting next couple of years i think and i yeah. think for people working out how it's going to work best for them just yeah get some expert advice from people who've got your interest in mind um i know one of the podcast you told me about during the week about a young chap who who was given some money by his parents and went along to a um, property property, property investment seminar who <laughs> you know, who who painted Armageddon for him moving forward but then could help him by selling him this property that they just happen to have yeah um, so yeah you just need to be careful and make sure that you're talking to people who have your best interest in mind yeah Financial advisor, someone like that. Financial maybe. advisor, real estate buyer's agent, yeah. um, a mortgage broker, your bank. Yeah. The people that are they're there to help you achieve your goals yeah. rather than... It's in their interest to help you rather yeah. than... Yeah. Well, yeah, it's in their, their interest to help you long term, um, not someone who just wants to you know, get some money out of you and run away. Yeah. So you know, there's, there's lots of stories of people who've bought... Uh, property um, without really thinking about the long term yeah. um, say during the GFC there was a lot of people buying in mining towns um, and in areas supported by mining but when the GFC hit some of those properties dropped in value 80 90 percent yeah so there was a lot of and a lot of people are still paying those mortgages so you just you just, um, you just need to you know, make your own inquiries make sure the person who's giving you the advice Make sure you understand what they get out of it, because if they're getting a ten percent commission, um, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Because you're paying for it. Right. So. Um. Another part of the trends they were expecting into twenty twenty one was, um, the permanent work from home or like part time work from home, uh, status I guess, um, as well as people looking to relocate to lifestyle locations and. Yeah something I read up on, which was a, a real estate, I think it was a property agent actually talking about, he reckons there will be more of a trend of real estate agents advertising uh, a three or four bedroom place. Instead, it's gonna be a two bedroom house with a work with a, with a home office. Yeah. Um, and I think like maybe they're gonna frame uh, households that they're trying to sell that are on the market as a, with a home office rather than a third bedroom because yeah. that is gonna look more um, sort of attractive yeah, yeah to buy it yeah 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 it's, it's like the thing where um um if you've got a, a you know a house with a granny flat you know that that opens up other markets for you because you might have people who want to bring mum and dad to live with yeah. them it might be where you know you, the, the husband or wife might be like a hairdresser or um, a photographer or something so that can be their work premises right. and those sorts of things but yeah i think um yeah, in, in, say, probably 10, 15 years ago, a lot of new apartments were marketed as having, like, bedrooms and a media room because it was trying to uh, target um, the creative types that people want to work from home, that mm. sort of thing. I think you'll probably see a bit more than that. that yeah. It might be, you know, f you know it, could be, it could be a four-bedroom house, but it can be marketed as a four-bedroom house 
or a three bedroom house with a, with a with an office. You could have so, a you could have a granny flat advertised as a quarantine room. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, be and you you look at say the hotels and how yeah. they've like you know, how they've benefited from COVID because, yeah. you know, most of the quarantining is in hotels. Yeah. So it's about the, the, the sort of, the COVID word is pivot, is how are you pivoting yeah. to change what you do to reflect the new reality yeah. and that's about adapting to your environment. And it's like how bars have, a lot of bars in Newcastle, in the very beginning, I remember while lockdown was happening, a lot of bars were selling huge bottles of... Uh, um, what's that cream? What's the stuff? Hand sanitizer. Hand sanitizer. Yeah, because they can just make their own. Exactly. So yeah. pubs weren't selling beers and they weren't having people in store, no yeah. patrons. So they were just selling takeaway yeah. hand sanitizer. Yeah, and so like the the, the the gin distillery that that's done it. And I know yeah. they did have an issue because they sent some out in the wrong label and people were putting gin on their hands or something. But right. it's it's just how you adapt. And I think I think for for people who say. I can't wait till things to get back to normal. What normal was in February is gone and yeah. is never, it is never ever coming back. Yeah, I don't think um, so. Yeah, you know, they're talking about the um, the two people who've been put in charge of the World Health Organization um, review of the pandemic, and I think one of them is an ex um, Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she's talking about a vaccine in twenty twenty three. Yeah, the. The, what used to be normal ain't going to exist anymore. It's not going to be normal for a long time. It ain't going to be normal for a long time. And I think what you've got to do is work out where you want to head yourself and then chart your own course rather yeah. than rather than sit there and think, well, why was me? It is a difficult time, not, yeah. not discounting that. And there's a lot of people's apple carts that have been turned upside down. But I think it's about where do you want, where do you see yourself? What's your objective? takes responsibility and a lot of it comes down to where you choose to spend your money yeah that's that's the thing from someone who <coughs> was one of five kids um with a mainly one income family uh growing up not spending money is in in my dna so that's easy yeah. but i just yeah and i think for as mortgage brokers who get to see everybody's financials because we have to yeah. to make sure under respons- responsible lending, <coughs> excuse me, that they can afford a loan. Yeah, you, it's a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, a couple of last sort of things that we wanted to cover was talking about the first home buyer scheme. Mm-hmm. So if I'm... <coughs> okay, beautiful. So um, we just had to pause it for a second while you slowly died. Yeah. We'll go to, uh, we'll talk about first home buyer. So, um, the way I understand it, the first home buyer scheme is a government scheme to, um, it provides people with a 5% yeah. deposit um, if, they're, if it's the first time they're buying a property and applying for a loan. Um, and that starts at the start of the financial year. Yeah, so what happened is it was announced in the election, or running up to the election of uh, 2019. It started on the 1st of January. And there was 10,000 spots available mm. between 1 January and 30 June. Right. Or you had, if you had 5% deposit, um, so if you wanted to buy a place for, say, 400 grand, you had 20,000 that you'd saved. Not that someone had given you, not that you won on Kino, that you'd saved. Um, 
the, you, the government, you could apply for a slot in the scheme okay. and there was a range of lenders that offered spots. And we helped quite a few people get them, which was good. Um, the government would then cover the, what would normally be in the mortgage insurance premium you'd pay because you're effectively borrowing 95%. Mm. Um, so that, that went pretty good. And then, so the next lot of spots become available on the 1st of July. Not every lender has it, so um, we always say you're best to use a broker because with brokers we have access to quite a lot of the banks that have access to the spots. If you walk into your bank branch or the the you know the bank you um, bank with, they may not have it as an option, um, and they might not tell you they've got it as an option. They might sell you a loan or get you into a loan where you actually pay the mortgage insurance. Um, in the run up to thirty, I saw some stats that. Um, Activity from first-home buyers is up nearly 30% in June. Uh, there's a lot more first-home buyers out there. Um, a lot of people, I think, as you mentioned before, were renting, then had to move home. Yeah. They go, do we want to do this? No, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, don't want to do that. <laughs> so we probably want to buy a place. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of options you've got, and we'll cover this in one of the webinars we're going to start doing soon. Yeah. You've got the 5% deposit scheme, you can buy a place with just 5% of your own deposit. Right. Um, but then you will pay a mortgage insurance premium or you can use some parental support, either cash or property security. So we'll cover that a bit later. But um, some of the interesting things, um, the, the that deposit scheme has been successful from the point of view of getting first-home owners um, in. The majority of people are under 35 who've who've accessed it in the first six months. 11% um, of people are over 40. So there are still people, like if you're listening to this and you're in your early 20s, there are people in their 40s buying their first home. So it's not uncommon. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that um, quite a few of the people buying in this scheme earn around 60 grand a year. So it's not it's achievable. Yeah. Um, but the, the key takeaways are you need to get in early in the financial year, you need to have 5% deposit, um, and you've usually got three months to buy a property. So that's sort of how that scheme works. Um, I think we we're going to talk about Home Builder, that Home Builder scheme, or we, we can, can do that another time. Or We can talk about that now. Yeah, so with, with Home Builder, that was announced as part of the COVID response, and it's 25 grand if you build a new place or substantially renovate a new place. Um, so if you're a first home buyer and you're looking to own a build, or sorry, not own a build, you're looking to get a house, buy land, buy land and get a building on it, so long as um, it takes place between 4 June and 31 December, um, there's a $25,000 incentive available. And that's as long as the contract was signed? After 4 June after that and year. before 31 December. Right. And construction has to commence within three months yeah. at the moment. It might be might be extended to six months. There's talk of that, um, but yeah, talk to every the land sales are going through the roof. Um, so just be careful with what you're paying because uh, and make sure you get your finance approved first. Because most clients we're talking to who've got their eye on property. The build the the developer is saying unless you can sign a contract now we're not holding it for you because uh, they've got lots of people lining up but get your finance approved first we're still seeing clients who 
would normally appear to be squeaky clean when they come to us, but when we get a copy of their credit report, um, there's things that they need to sort out first. Right. Um, we had a recent one where um, there was an address on the credit report that the client had never lived at, and there was a credit inquiry for a credit facility that they never did. So they had to fill out a stat deck and go back to that credit provider and say, I've never lived there and I never applied for that. And then that was erased from their credit report. So just be, yeah, get your finance sorted first. Right. It's like with everything. If you're, if you're going to buy a car, work out how much money you can spend, then go look for the car. Too many people go and put, um, go and agree to buy something and then work out how to pay for it later. Um, it just causes a lot of stress. Yeah, better to plan ahead. Yeah. Um, we can finish off with that thing you want to talk about, <coughs> which was off-market properties. Yeah, so at the moment, um, at, at, any, at any given time, you know, if people are looking for property, you know, they might get the paper domain section that's in still in a lot of papers. Or, you know, they've got their, um, on realestate.com or domain, they've got their parameter sets up. Might be, I want to buy a place in X suburbs for between this range and it's got like a couple of bedrooms, they've got a bathroom, off street parking, blah, 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 blah. So as places are listed and advertised, they pop in. Now, they pop into your parameter feed but they also pop into the parameter feed of every other person looking for a property. Now, there's probably about a month from when that drops into the feed to when the person has actually turned up to the real estate agent to say, look, we want to sell our house. Because what the real estate agent does, the real estate agent gets all the details, gets them to sign an agreement, um, that will then say to the people, look, give us a couple of days, we'll come and have a look at your property, they might get some of their other real estate agents in their um, firm to come and have a look as well. They then look at where other properties have sold in the last couple of months, come up with comparable sales, and then what they'll do is for a month or two, sorry, for a week or two, they will normally go to people they already know. So people that have already come through open homes and people are on their database and say, look, this is becoming available if you're interested because they want to sell it quick. A real estate agent who can sell properties quick is can get, will get more listings because people know they sell properties quick. And if you drive around and you see in in an area four or five signs from the same real estate agent, and then a week later they've all got solds on them, you go, wow, that must be a good real estate agent. Mm -hmm. So when <clears throat> there's a lot of activity that happens before it's publicly visible that a house becomes available. Um, some suggestions are that 20 to 25% of properties that never actually reach the public marketing stage, that they get sold off-market. So there's two ways you can get off-market transactions. One is making sure that real estate agents know what you're looking for, and the other one is to use a real estate buyer's agent. So there's some very good buyer's agents all around the country, and they manage the whole buying process for you. They can do some of it or all of it. Um, you pay them but quite often they will save you quite a bit of money and will get you access to properties before everyone else knows about them. And I use the analogy of the seagulls and the chips. Um, they'll make sure, if you're getting off-market properties, you're 
one of two seagulls looking at lots of chips because when things get to the market at the moment, there's a lot more seagulls than there are chips. So you've got to fight all the other seagulls for the chips. So that's just the analogy. And it's a, at this time, there's, or at any, any time, maybe one-fifth to one-quarter of all properties in a market are getting sold off market. And that's how you get access to them. So okay. it's about doing your research. If you see a, if you're offered an off-market opportunity, and just say <coughs> you're willing to pay five hundred thousand for that property, and they the agent says they'll take an offer of five ten, you you've got the choice to either make that offer and secure the property, or risk it going to open market where someone else might be prepared to pay five forty. So you've either got to pay more or you miss out. So um, it's about getting experts on your side and we think, um, well personally I like real estate buyers agents, I think they do a cracking job and they can get you access to property that um, you may not get access to. Okay. So, but yeah, if you're going to open homes and real estate agents see you and they know you're in the market, you get on their database, you'll get access to those things. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Is there anything you wanted to add? Oh, no, just if people need help, um, just sing out Money Saver Home Loans on Facebook. Contact us um, on our website, moneysaverhomeloans.com.au. We've got our um, heaps of calculators and guides and that sort of stuff that you can use. And if you need help with buying property anywhere around the country in the last, um, say, two months, we have people buying Melbourne, Hobart, Goulburn, Dubbo, Canberra. Um, Newcastle, of course, where we're, where our head office is, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, we can help you with. Um, and if you've got any friends that need help, if you um, let them know about us, that would be great. Um, so we can help them save money with their existing lender, or um, get a better deal from another lender. Beautiful. All right.